Welcome to the community-supported Best of the Left podcast, with clips today from The Young Turks, The Sam Cedar Show, The New York Times, Randy Rhodes, The Daily Show, Ring of Fire, and Counterspin. If you had to vote right now, and between the three of them, between Edwards, between everybody Hillary, who's and Obama, cur- between everybody who's currently in the race, not, so not Gore, not your dad, <laughs> not just the guys who are in the race, who would you vote for right now, Richardson? Okay, and why is that? He's got a firm track record in diplomacy and energy issues. Look, as much as everyone may talk about Iraq, you had. Pretty much 98% of the scientists in the world come forth in the last six months and say global warming is a reality. The effect that this is going to have on our country is huge. This is beside all the scientists who came out a couple years ago and said we're going to run out of oil in 2030, which is not that far away. It's 24 years. Yeah. No, excuse me, 23 years now. And yeah. what have we done in the five years since we were attacked by people funded by oil money? What have we done to get off oil? Zip. And what have we done to actually go get those guys? Also zip. Nothing. Not zip, but not Nothing. nearly enough. I mean, when someone, when scientists tell you, you're, you're changing the planet. Like, rain isn't going to fall where it should. When the military, two years ago, they did their study on future wars, like in the 2015 to 2025. And they're like, oh, yeah, the world's basically going to be like Mad Max and people are going to be fighting over water. Water is what mm. people are going to be fighting over. In 10 years. And no one's dealing with these issues. They're talking about, hey, he's, he, so-and-so said this, and so-and-so raised money this way. And I mean, come on. <laughs> what are you, stupid? It's like you're a frog sitting in a pot of water that's coming to a boil, and you're arguing with the frog next to you over, you know, you ate more of that fly than I did. I mean, come on. Get out the of the freaking water. boiling. Get out of the freaking water. You know, it, it, I will support any candidate who makes global warming an environmental disaster their number one policy. You're talking about the survival of civilization. So you would certainly be for Al Gore coming into the race? Absolutely be for Al Gore coming into the race. I don't know, you know, I would hope he would win. I can't determine it. I don't know if he'll take the measures that are radical enough. When people talk about it, even Al Gore talks about it. It's like, yeah, we're going to cut emissions 10%. Maybe we'll put some CAFTA standards on cars. Dude, we need to have an emergency program right now where you're converting neighborhoods and communities to renewable energy sources and putting the money into research. You know what's interesting, Wes, is that a hundred of the largest corporations in the world just got together and said global warming is real and we need to take action right now. Now. Like not even in two years. Now. And that includes Ford, you know, the car companies. That includes some of the plane uh, companies. And they spend, obviously, they put a lot of, uh, use a lot of fuel. That includes GE. Mm -hmm. It includes Walmart. includes all these companies. And they got together and they said, look, what you don't understand is we can't do it on our own because we have competitive pressures. The government needs to force us to do it. The government so, has to control these things. Look, when people like, you know, they, they didn't in, the, in uh, the last term of the Bush administration said, oh, uh, conservation is a choice of individuals. B.S. It's government policy. What is it? What does it gain me to ride my bike to work? If the guy next door to me is going to drive his giant gas-guzzling SUV. It becomes a, a what they call a common of the problems. The pigs will simply be bigger pigs. Yeah. That's just the way pigs are. Now that I've lost everything to you, 
You say you wanna start something new And it's breaking my heart that you're leaving Baby, I'm grieving That if you wanna leave, take good care Hope you have a lot of nice things to wear But then a lot of nice things turn bad out As if uh, things weren't looking bleak enough. The Sunday Times UK reports scientists say rising greenhouse gases will make climate change unstoppable in a decade. The world has just 10 years to reverse surging greenhouse gas emissions or risk runaway climate change that could make any many parts of the planet uninhabitable. Stark warning comes from scientists who are working on the final draft of the new report by the Intergovernment Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. The report, due to be published this week, will draw together the work of thousands of scientists from around the world who have been studying uh, changes in the world's climate and predicting how they might accelerate. Look, 98% of the scientists who study this thing, it could even be 100%, I mean, when you really talk about genuine scientists, uh, believe that we have a massive problem. Thousands of them got together and said that it's 10 years We don't know exactly whether it's 10 years or 15 years or 20 years or, frankly, whether it's eight years or seven years in terms of what we have the ability to to diminish the amount of uh, CO2 we put in the atmosphere. There's a story uh, in the AP today saying that later this week in Paris, climate scientists will issue a dire forecast for the planet that warns of uh, slowly rising sea levels. Speaking of this... Draft report by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. But the AP reports that may be the sugar-coated version. Ten years may be the sugar-coated version. I mentioned last week that uh, scientists were sort of shocked to see that the Earth was not absorbing as much CO2 as it has in the past. And there's a theory out there that it's possible... The Earth, whether it's the you know the trees, the soil, everything absorbs the CO2 to a certain extent, may just be so saturated at this, at this point that it is not absorbing CO2 at the same rate. Many top U.S. scientists reject uh, these rosier numbers. Those calculations don't include the recent and dramatic melt-off of big ice sheets in two crucial locations. They don't take into account the gorillas, Greenland and Antarctica, said Ohio State University Earth Sciences Professor Lonnie Thompson, a polar ice specialist. I think there are unpleasant surprises as we move into the 21st century. That could be one of the world's greatest understatements. Meanwhile, survey shows 13% of Americans never even heard of global warming. I don't know how shocked I am by that, frankly. Because there's still like, I don't know, 35%, 40% of the population still thinks that Saddam Hussein was involved in 9-11. There's probably 30 or 40% still believe he's alive. 
The shocking thing is that it's an Internet poll, I think, that they took. So you would think that if people are on the Internet, they would maybe at some point somewhere maybe trip over the concept of global warming. Yeah, and I don't even know if you can go by the Internet as a measure. I would assume the number is much larger. I mean, honestly, I really would. I don't think that's uh, that doesn't surprise me. I mean, the United States emits about a quarter of all greenhouse gases. 25% of the world's greenhouse gases. The biggest emitter ahead of China, Russia, and India. Ain't no sunshine when she's gone. And she's always gone too long. Anytime she goes away. Wonder this time where she's gone. There are lots of ways to communicate with the show, and I encourage you to do so. You can join the community forum to speak with other listeners, send emails direct to me at hippiesympathizer at gmail.com, or have your voice heard by the entire audience by calling the comment line at 206-202-0195. Links to all of these at bestoftheleftpodcast.com. Now that President Gerald Ford has been buried with all the honors he deserved, it is time to discuss a proper memorial. I would suggest the Gerald Ford Energy Independence Act. Few people remember today, but Gerald Ford was the first U.S. president to really use the levers of the presidency to try to break our addiction to oil, said the energy economist Philip Verlager, Jr. He was way ahead of his time. Well, his time has come again, and then some. The greatest thing George Bush could do, for President Ford's legacy and his own, would be to dedicate his upcoming State of the Union address to completing the energy independence agenda that Mr. Ford initiated 32 years ago, in the wake of the 1973 Arab oil embargo and energy shock. As the page titled Energy from the Ford Presidential Library website reminds us, Early in his administration, President Ford said that he would not sit by and watch the nation continue to talk about an energy crisis and do nothing about it. Nor, he said, would he accept halfway measures which failed to change the direction that has made our nation so vulnerable to foreign economic interests. The President proposed firm but necessary measures designed to achieve energy independence for the U.S. by 1985 and to regain our position of world leadership in energy. In his 1975 State of the Union speech, President Ford laid out his vision. I have a very deep belief in America's capabilities. Within the next ten years, my program envisions 200 major nuclear power plants, 250 major new coal mines, 150 major coal-fired power plants, 30 major new oil refineries, 20 major new synthetic fuel plants, the drilling of many thousands of new oil wells, the insulation of 18 million homes, and the manufacturing and the sale of millions of new automobiles, trucks, and buses that use much less fuel. In another crisis, the one in 1942, President Franklin D. Roosevelt said this country would build 60,000 military aircraft. By 1943, production in that program had reached 125,000 aircraft annually. They did it then, we can do it now. Obviously, President Ford's emphasis on coal and domestic oil came in age when most people were unaware of climate change. Still, Mr. Ford wasn't just all talk on energy. 
He used his presidential powers to impose a $3 a barrel fee on imported oil to reduce consumption. That was a big deal, noted Mr. Verlegger, because the average cost of imported crude at the time was only $10.76 a barrel. Yes, you heard that right. A Republican president actually imposed an import fee on oil to curb consumption. Yes, President Bush, it can be done. The Republic survived. Thanks to the Energy Policy Conservation Act of 1975 and other measures, Mr. Ford's energy legacy includes the creation of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve for use in an emergency, the phasing out of domestic price controls on oil to encourage more exploration, major investment in alternative energy research, assistance to states in developing energy conservation programs, and most important, the creation of the first compulsory mileage standards for U.S. automobiles. Those mileage standards have barely been tightened since 1975 because some idiotic congressmen from Michigan, who thought they were protecting Detroit, have blocked efforts to raise them. So Japanese automakers innovated more in that area, and the rest is history, or in the case of Detroit, obituary. Every ten years we say to ourselves, if only we'd done the right thing ten years ago. Well, President Bush has a chance in his State of the Union to call on Americans to honor Mr. Ford by completing his vision. But it means asking Americans to do some hard things, accepting a gasoline or a carbon tax, inducing Detroit to make more fuel-efficient cars, trucks, and plug-in hybrids, setting a national requirement for utilities to provide 20% of their electricity from renewable wind, solar, hydro, or nuclear power by 2015, and finally, making large-scale investments in mass transit. It is stunning that since 9-11 the Bush team has never mounted a campaign to get Americans to conserve energy. Ford called for zero oil imports by 1985, said Mr. Verlegger. Instead, we imported five million barrels a day then. In 2006, imports will average almost 14 million barrels a day. Had we achieved everything Ford proposed, the price of oil today would be $20 a barrel, not 60 The polar ice caps might not be melting, the polar bear might still have a chance, and our children would have a future. Dressed so fine and looking so pretty Cool cat looking for a kitty Gonna look in every corner of the city Till I'm wheezing like a bus stop Running up the stairs Gonna meet you on the rooftop But tonight it's a different world Go out and find a girl Come on, come on, if that's all night Just like the heat, it'll be alright And babe, don't you know it's a pity The days can't be like the nights In the summer, in the city In the summer, in the city Mike in Houston, Texas. Welcome to the program, Mike. Thank you very much. Uh, you know, uh, I think this whole controversy would be much more enlightening if if people would go to exonsecrets.org. Mm. Um, when you talk about global warming, you're talking about a lot of reports you get from institutes like American Council on Science and Health, American Conservatives, Conservative Union Foundation, Alliance for Climate Strategies. The list goes on and on. And if you go to exonsecrets.org, 
you'll find out that these are all organizations uh, uh, either funded or supported by Exxon. Oh, well, there's a story in The Guardian today, or February 1st. Scientists and economists have been offered $10,000 each by a lobby group funded by one of the world's oil companies, Exxon, to undermine a major climate change report due to be published today. I mean, they're already out there trying to hire people to debunk this. Now, why would you need to offer a $10,000 bounty for any article that would debunk this? I mean, theoretically, if we're to believe the right wing in this country, there is a legitimate uh, dissent on this. Why would somebody need that extra incentive of $10,000 to maybe write something that would undercut this report? I mean, if you were a scientist who was writing a report in the service of science and of human knowledge, why would you need that extra ten grand from Exxon? In fact, why would Exxon be offering $10,000 to debunk this? I mean, theoretically, the science should be there, right? I mean, presumably, Exxon has scientists. Why don't they just get their own scientists to come out with it? Huh. I, I, I can't imagine. Global warming has made stronger hurricanes, according to the Associated Press, including those in the Atlantic, such as Katrina, an authoritative panel on climate change has concluded for the first time. Participants in their deliberations said Thursday, uh, this again is coming from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. Well, we didn't have uh, hurricanes before then? Well, apparently they seem to be getting a little more strong. And yes, I'm sure you can find examples of hurricanes in the past that have been strong, but it's the frequency in which uh, these stronger hurricanes are coming. So let's get to... um, Rush Limbaugh, shall we? No, you still can't get course credit yet. Here we have Rush Limbaugh talking about global warming being the essence of liberalism versus conservatism. I will bite Mr. Limbaugh. Hold on for one second. Where are my pills? I want to see if I can understand this. By taking some... Hillbury Howard... Uh, you know, maybe I'll just... I'm going to go into the bathroom and smoke some crack while you play this, and maybe when I come back, I'll understand it. Go ahead. This global warming issue is the essence of liberalism versus conservatism, mm. which is what this program is about. Science versus global fantasy. Global warming, militant environmentalism, militant animal rightsism is nothing more. Those things are nothing more than, than opportunities for communists, socialists, uh, people that uh, support dictatorships to empower <laughs> elements of society they think are important. Government, statism, and this sort of thing. And every element of conservatism versus liberalism is to be found in the global warming debate. The liberals assume that it is, remember, their self-loathing and their guilt and their mm. hatred for their own country and, and uh, advanced civilizations and societies. They believe that they have the power that human beings, despite the contempt and despite the condescension with which they look at human beings, they think human beings are so imperfect and so selfish and so carefree that they have the ability to destroy the planet. Remember, there is no God in liberalism other than liberalism itself. Religion 
is the environment. Religion is animal rights. Religion is liberal causes. That is what they are uh, uh, loyal to, and they are liberals before they are anything else. Joel, help me out here. I couldn't get to the bathroom enough and take enough drugs to fully grasp what he's saying here. But let me just break this down. If you are concerned about the environment, you're a commie. You are a radical animal rights activist. That's right. I believe the term that was used was uh, animal rightsism. Animal rightsists. You are a commie. You are a dictator. You worship dictators. It is your self-loathing and guilt and your hatred of humanity which leads you to believe that humans have the capacity to harm the environment. And did I get that right? I think so, yeah. That, that's about it in a nutshell. You should have been here, I think, to really grasp the grasp full the entire thing, stupidity yes. of now, it. But. Now, uh, what's fascinating here is he's, you know, he's reiterating what I've been saying about uh, Rush Limbaugh, is that, you know, this guilt you have about hurting the environment, don't. Don't have that guilt. Don't look at the, the exhaust coming out of your tailpipe and think, huh, is this healthy? Don't look at the crap that is being put into our atmosphere and think, huh, is that bad? No, I'm just feeling guilty. No, no, you just keep doing what you're doing. I am here to soothe your conscience. I am here on your shoulder to say, don't listen. You're great. You're powerful. You're not feminized. You're a man. In fact, go out and buy two SUVs. Don't even drive them. Leave them in your driveway. Leave them running. Because you're a man. That creeping insecurity you have, get rid of it. You're a man. Feel that engine rumble underneath your pants. And guard your wallet. for you uh, just just on the global warming and the reason why uh, Henry Waxman started with global warming because it was a wonderful way to show that the president's chief of staff at the White House to the Council on Environmental Quality an institution that shapes America's environmental policy who resigned on June 14 2005 amidst uh, reports that he was radically changing the climate change reports coming out of the White House's own Council on Environmental Quality, uh, and that there was a chill sent over everybody in the Bush administration, never to mention certain words like global warming or climate change. Uh, Andrea, Andrea Mitchell yesterday filed this report. Government scientists have been complaining for two years that the Bush administration has been forcing them to soft-pedal their findings on global warming. But now Democrats have the clout to demand answers. 
With Democrats holding the gavel in both houses, advocacy groups were given the chance to present a new study revealing unprecedented and widespread interference with scientific reports, largely by a former oil industry lobbyist working for the White House. They tried to delete a discussion of the human health and environmental effects of climate change. Documents uncovered by the Government Accountability Project, an advocacy group, reveal that critical findings were eliminated from draft reports. Questions like, is abrupt climate change real? And what is the relationship between the drought in the West and climate variability and change? Both crossed out. With a handwritten note, it is not necessary here to list these examples. It wasn't just policy. It was spinning the scientific, the state of knowledge. A survey of more than 300 scientists in seven agencies studying climate change found nearly half were personally pressured to eliminate the words climate change or global warming. Our investigations found high-quality science struggling to get out. There is now a growing consensus that fossil fuel emissions are melting the ice cap, with dramatic results, as witnessed in Antarctica two weeks ago by our British partners, ITN. You can see some of these icebergs are melting. You can feel, there we are, I mean, that, there we are, that gives you an idea of what it's like. Who watered down most of the government reports? The scientists point to Philip Cooney, a former oil lobbyist in charge of the Bush policy. He then left to work for ExxonMobil. He refused to talk to NBC News Today. The idea that a oil, a former oil lobbyist, would be allowed to edit a scientific document from one of the agencies is simply inexcusable. Now candidates in both parties are scrambling to cap emissions. The argument about climate change is over. Now it's time to act. The argument is over. Tonight, the Bush administration told NBC News claims that the administration interfered with scientists are false and our focus is on making action and taking real progress. But many Republicans and Democrats in Congress want to see a lot more, Brian. Oh, I'm relieved. Oh, it's all bogus. Thank God Bush said something. Uh, for a minute there, I was listening to Andrea Mitchell thinking the Bush administration actually put a guy who represents petroleum and big oil in charge of uh, the White House's Environmental Policy Board. And uh, now that they've said that they didn't do it, don't you feel bad? You want to go to the seaside? I'm not trying to say that everybody wants to go. I fell in love at the seaside. She had a her charm with time and slides of hand. has been looking into uh, the uh, White House's uh, silencing of government scientists regarding uh, global warming. Uh, two private ad- advocacy groups presented to the panel a survey of government climate scientists showing that many of them say they have been subjected to political pressure aimed at downplaying the threat of global warming. Here is Representative Jim Cooper. Uh, this is during the, uh, the House Oversight and Government Reform uh, Committee hearings that uh, Waxman chairs. Here is uh, Representative Jim Cooper uh, from Tennessee. 
discussing the revelation that the Bush administration wouldn't even allow the director of national intelligence, John Negroponte, from saying the words, wouldn't allow him to say the words global warming at a, an event where Negroponte was winning some type of environmental award. This is just uh, hilarious. Uh, let me mention a dinner party I attended about two months ago here in Washington. The honoree was John Negroponte, who was then the director of national intelligence. He was there to receive an environmental award. It was very interesting because in anticipation of his remarks, uh, words slipped through the crowd that he was not allowed to utter the words global warming, at least not in the same sentence. Apparently, he was allowed to say the word global in a separate sentence and warming in a separate sentence, but not together. So it became a little parlor game during his remarks to see how closely he would fit the words global and warming and not incur the wrath of the White House. I thought this was a sad statement of the current condition of our scientific community when a top and very eminent statesman like John Negroponte would be so hamstrung by the administration that he would not be allowed to utter the two words in conjunction. Think about that, folks. I mean, regardless of, uh, I mean, if you're one of those conservatives out there who believes that global warming is some type of hoax, I guess, uh, theoretically being perpetrated on us by, I guess, greenhouse gases or, or playing some type of hoax on us. But where does it make any sense that you do not allow people who work in the U.S. government to say the words global warming? I mean, how do you explain that? I mean, presumably he wasn't even allowed to say uh, global warming is a hoax. No, you're not allowed to say these words. I mean, if this isn't Orwellian, I mean, am I going really far out on a limb here to say that uh, this is somewhat fascist when you won't allow, when you won't allow officials from the U.S. government to say the words global warming? At a dinner party. Oh, you can say it at breakfast. You can say it at a breakfast party or a lunch party, but never at a dinner party. You can feel the rhyme, global warming, with something else. I'm here to talk to you today about strobel warming. Wink, wink. I think we all know what I'm referring to when I say global charming. So uh, these uh, two private ad- advocacy uh, groups presented a survey at the uh, hearings in front of um, Henry Waxman that shows two in five of the 279 climate, uh, two out of five of the 279 climate scientists who responded to a questionnaire complained that some of their scientific papers had been edited in a way to change their meaning. Nearly half of the 279 said in response to another question that at some point they had been told to delete a reference to global warming or climate change from a report. The questionnaire was sent by the Union of Concerned Scientists, a private advocacy group. The report was also based on first-hand experiences described in interviews with the Government Accountability Project, which helps government whistleblowers. In the meantime... Apparently, the Bush administration is withholding documents relevant 
to this committee is looking into whether or not the government has, in fact, silenced scientists. specializes in international environmental issues and climate policy. His new book is called The Politically Incorrect Guide to Global Warming and Environmentalism. Please welcome to the program, Christopher Horner. Christopher! Hello, sir. Nice to see you. Please. Come on, see That's mine. All right. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure to uh, read that. The book is, I did read uh, the book, The Politically Incorrect a guide to Global Warming, yep. and I read that IPCC environmental report, and I got to tell you, That's a yours laughs, is more interesting. It? Of course it is. It has more you know, shiny uh, things. The, the graphs and all the other things in the other one, all the data, I didn't care for it. Not an either. <laughs> yours I liked. Cartoons. Yeah, dead polar bears. It's like Al Gore's movie, because the real polar bears can swim, you create animated ones. That's what we did here. That's exactly right. It was lovely. Now, why, you know, the only thing... Look, I don't know science and the thing. I, all I can do is sit back and wait for the world to end. Right. I'm sure, I don't know if it'll be nuclear or warming or, you know, it literally the world will just get sick of us and shake like a dog and we all go flying. That's Why is this argument so heated? Why is there so much, uh, not, pardon the pun, but right. why is there so much volatility? Your, your book is, you're clearly, you're, you're worked up. You're a little angry about it. Right. I'm still working through that, but uh, I appreciate you reading it. Help me out there. No, please. This was an exercise. Uh, it's been a heated debate since the Titanic hit an iceberg, as you saw when you read the book, when the New York newspapers found experts who, if they would have lived a little longer, would have made a fortune at Stanford University telling us about the end of the world because they came out and global said, cooling. this is proof that the icebergs are attacking. And then there was global warming because there was global warming. You remember the Dust Bowl and things like that. And then there was global cooling and we had a lot of money. We became very rich and so we put satellites up in the air to measure the atmosphere because this isn't about the surface temperature. It's about the atmosphere. And then it stopped cooling and so like five-year-olds playing soccer chasing a ball, they chased the thermometer the other direction. And so now it's global warming. We know the answer. It's this lassitude argument. I can't understand it, so it must be our fault. The gods must be angry. Man's responsible. There's a strong desire to believe, as evidenced by the fact that there was a consensus in the 70s about man-made global cooling. And now there's a consensus about man-made global warming. There's a strong desire to believe that it just makes sense, because we said that both times. And obviously, it can't just make sense both ways. What? <laughs> All right, hold on. Let me, let me, let me get, let me get back. Because I, I hear you. Listen, I, you know, because I look at the climate it too. Just make sense? I don't know either. I, you know, I see a hurricane. Then there's bigger hurricanes over there. And is it warming? Is it cooling? It's yeah. cold today. Uh, you know, 
So I don't know either, but what's, here's what's, two things bug me. Mm -hmm. And this is just pure intuitiveness. It's not in any way scientifically based, so you'll have to excuse me. It seems like with everything that we pump into the atmosphere, it must have some effect. It must. I don't know what, but it must have some. So mm -hmm. certainly our presence here on Earth, we are doing something, altering it in a way that probably. the Earth probably didn't uh, uh, intend. And the second is, why would they go through all this trouble and all this scientific study? These, it seems like for it to be a global conspiracy strikes me as, and, and, and I don't mean to, to put what, it is clear you believe that it is some kind of communist-tinged global <laughs> conspiracy. That is an anti-capitalist agenda that they don't want us to live well and they want us all to, you know, poop in holes. Right. Like, <laughs> so th those are the two questions I cannot wrap my head around. Right, yeah, you say an awful lot there and, and yet not Did really, I really? Because not, I have really no idea. Um, I'd say more communist-soaked. No, it's, uh, it's not a conspiracy. Everybody has their own motivation for getting into this. Uh, Enron had their motivation. They were the pioneers of the, the Kyoto Protocol in the United States. When BP and GE absorbed their assets, well, that's their motivation. It's not You're necessarily it's profit motive, though, for all well, these for big scientists? businesses who are suddenly they wake up and find themselves. I didn't say the scientists not oh. yet. Uh, who find themselves responsible? Well. In part, there's always been a desire to get a get out of jail free card from the Greens by industry, but you really can't cure from who? The Greens. The Greens? They're in there. Yeah. The Greens. The environmental movement. You made it sound like the gays. The Greens. <laughs> you know, like a, uh. You'd be nice. No, the Greens. The Green Movement. Green Party, wherever. Right. Um, the powerful Green Party. The powerful Green Party. <laughs> well, actually, wherever these socialists and communists you just mentioned, these so-called socialists and communists, wait, let me finish. So-called right. socialists and communists are in, you like that? Good time to leave. You guys have been great. I'm back to <laughs> <laughs> These so-called socialists and communists are in government anywhere, then they are in coalition with the Greens. They share an agenda. I attended a wealth alleviation seminar, true story, right. in Johannesburg, conducted by the German Green Party. There's a German Green with a wonderful quote in here around page 288 saying our philosophy is to create a society whereby it is considered a greater crime to clear a forest than sell a six-year-old child to an Asian brothel. These are their quotes. Right, but he's, I mean, he's what? A representative the of the green, German Green Party. He's one crazy German Green guy. Uh, you know, if but history my, no, has taught us anything, it's to listen to these one crazy Germans. I, I would really, I doubt you're going to see a kind of Mein Kampf treaty <laughs> based laugh. on global warming, but... <laughs> Besides the issue, settle down, people. It, it, what strikes me as, as odd there is it seems like the environmental movement with the Clean Air Act and everything else mm -hmm. has not encumbered industry, but in fact has helped streamline it. And, and certainly I don't understand why just looking at regulating some of this would be anti-capitalist. Don't they work in, in league? Uh, first, our first Clean Air Act was enacted before the environmentalist movement actually took root here. I think it was 1963. And that really came about beginning in maybe 62. Boy, you don't want to give them credit for anything. Damn. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. But so, so, but, but that, that is. Uh, no, you, uh, you clearly did read. Have you ever killed a hobo? <laughs> Hobo's such because an ugly I, word. All right. I, hobo's an ugly I word. I see. I sense here. If I say the wrong thing, he, I could be physically hurt. He said he was passing through. He just said right. he was just passing through. All right. But you know what I'm saying. Uh, the answer's no to whatever it is you're asking. All I right. want to give him credit. And, I, and, and, and he and that, we never had that conversation. All right. Okay. <laughs> I guess my, my, my point is, is uh, uh, it seems like an awful lot of trouble to go through just to, to remove progress from society. Maybe there's something there, and Some maybe the say. anger that people have towards the environmental movement 
is clouding maybe the idea that all the stuff we, we put up there may also have an effect. It may have an effect, and it may have an effect is a great reason to spend $5 billion, which is what we do every year, pursuing understanding of the climate. We're actually performing better, no don't, matter don't, how poorly the White House is communicating. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, you look like a hobo I once knew. All right. <laughs> the politically incorrect guide to global warming and environmentalism. It's on the bookshelf. Body like soft serve, dripping down in the June sun. I tried to shoot a thought, but the thought sunk. Nothing to do but scratch words in the dirt and watch the water roll down. This show is produced with the help of the members of the Best of the Left community. You too can be a part of the show, and we would love your help. You can submit information about great clips you've heard, volunteer to help edit these clips for the show, or actually become an occasional guest producer. For more information, please visit the community at bestoftheleftpodcast.com. The Pamp Attack. You know, you really have to view the new neocon spin on global warming the same way you might have viewed the GOP kook spin on Terry Schiavo. And it went something like this. Yes, Terry was brain dead, but it's a good thing, apparently, because she appears to be smiling. What in the hell was that all about? Well, now we see the new GOP kook spin about global warming, and it's this. It is that, yes, maybe the Earth is dying from greenhouse gases that we've created, but as it dies, we're all going to have better weather. And Greenland's going to be green again, and people living on the frigid northeast coast, well, they're going to have a much better quality of life for decades to come. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking I'm making this up, that even the weird right couldn't create talking points as sick as that. You're thinking that maybe this is all just far-fetched satire. But before you conclude that I'm spinning all of this, take a look at the National Review, only one of the more moderate knuckle-dragger publications out there. Here's what they had to say, and I quote, If global warming is occurring, I say bravo. People in most parts of the globe will have no objection to a warmer, wetter climate. Paraphrase, that means that, yes, as neocon GOP apologists, at one time, we really had such tiny brains that we couldn't accept that global warming is real and that it's man-made. It paraphrases to mean that now the only way we can cover for Exxon and Ford and all of our corporate cronies is to tell our pinhead followers that global warming is good for them the same way that pesticides and Teflon-coated pans and Paris Hilton is good for for them. It all makes for a better world according to these neocon nuts. So let me give you a few of the real moronic talking points that flow from the brains of the GOP corporate machine. How about this one? A warmer, wetter world will mean more rainforest and more biodiversity. Or how about this GOP corporate talking point on global warming? It's this. Many species of animals and plants may go extinct, but that's because their species was too slow to adapt. Darn. And of course, George Will puts it this way. What's the big deal? Greenland was green before it was covered with ice. So global warming is a good thing. 
So have some fun with your kookiest of kooky acquaintances, the ones who get their information from Fox News, the ones who are such dullards that they still haven't scraped that W sticker off their truck. Have some fun and see if the neocon nut talking points on global warming have found a warm, cozy home in their tiny brains. Start the conversation by asking what they think about the fact that by 2030, the Glacier National Park will have no glaciers, or suggest to them that there is facts that show that every coast in America will see a 20-foot rise in water levels. And go on and point out that projections tell us that by 2100, global warming will leave more than a million people dead and cost our economy amounts that approach the trillions level. And then see if they fire back some of that neocon nut gibberish that they borrow from Rush Limbaugh or John Stossel or Michael Savage or Michael Crichton. Gibberish that tells us that, gee, global warming is going to improve our shipping routes, and it's going to save time and energy for the shipping industry. Or global warming will create investment opportunities for all Americans along new coastlines. Because, believe me, that's what they're saying. Gibberish that's become the new talking points for GOP corporatist nuts who would rather sacrifice the lives of your children, and yes, even their children, rather than admit that they have been wrong for decades. The Pap Attack on Air America Radio Network. Go to ringoffireradio.com or airamericaradio.com for more info. Three huge things you can do to help support the show, but they only take a few seconds. Leave us a great customer review in the iTunes Music Store, dig the show on dig.com, and every month you can vote for the best of the left at podcastalley.com. Find links to all three of these most important sites on the right-hand side at bestoftheleftpodcast.com. Thanks for your support. This report from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change only strengthens the scientific consensus on global warming and the near certainty that human activity bears significant responsibility for Earth's recent warming trend. As the science has become more definitive, the media coverage mostly has too, with some notable exceptions. The far-right Wall Street Journal editorial page continues to carry water for the so-called climate change skeptics, warning on February 5th that the debate is far from settled. They're joined in this by some other media heavyweights, including ABC pundit and columnist George Will, who began his column in Newsweek with the phrase, enough already, going on to deride climate Cassandras and the consensus catechism about global warming. CNN headline news yacker Glenn Beck, meanwhile, covered the issue by interviewing Republican Senator James Inhofe, who has called global warming the greatest hoax ever perpetrated on the American people. 
Beck, meanwhile, said on one show that he's, quote, sick of this whole global warming thing, close quote, and that, quote, I'm just not convinced that it's man's fault, close quote. CNN will soon give viewers a chance to hear more of Beck's enlightening views on the subject. He'll host a one-hour special about climate change myths. But it's not just right-wing pundits who are still trying to debate something that scientists overwhelmingly aren't debating anymore. New York public radio station WNYC is co-hosting a forum titled Global Warming is Not a Crisis, with six panelists on each side, three for and three against. Presenting a balanced debate on something that isn't seen that way by experts is troubling, but that could explain why one of the Not a Crisis speakers is novelist Michael Crichton. It's the time of the season When love runs high In this time, give it to me easy And let me try with pleasured hands To take you in the sun To promise lands To show you This is my favorite story in so long. I don't want to overhype, but I just did. Yeah. Okay, so a Federal Way is a school district uh, near Seattle, just outside of Seattle, there as I can tell. The Federal Way School Board. Right, you with me so far? Uh, you not, haven't lost. It's not complicated. <laughs> it's not that. It's not that complicated. So they've been showing Al Gore's movie *An Inconvenient Truth* in uh, some classes there, in some science classes, because it's a documentary, and mm-hmm. that's what schools do. Mm-hmm. Well, a parent who supports the teaching of creationism and opposes sure. sex education filed a complaint with the Federal Way School Board uh, last week, last Tuesday. Um, and the school board, sorry, he, he did it earlier, and then on Tuesday, the Federal Way School Board placed uh, what it labeled as a moratorium on showing the film. The movie, of course, just is Al Gore presenting scientific findings. It's a, it's a PowerPoint presentation for those who haven't seen the film. The parent who complained, I'm not going to make this up, is named Frosty Hardison. Oh, come on. <laughs> no, come on. Frosty Hardison. Yeah. Come on. Global warming, Frosty Hardison. <laughs> what are we? What are we making this up? What, what's happening here? Here's what Frosty Hardison had to say to the uh, Seattle uh, uh, Post Intelligence, or mm-hmm. one of the two big newspapers out there in Seattle. <clears throat> Condoms don't belong in school, and neither does Al Gore. <laughs> I already like it, right? Yeah, already, I love they it. already so condoms don't belong in school. Neither does Al Gore. He's not a school teacher. Said Frosty Hardison, parent of seven. And then Frosty had to uh, blow his nose and took off his carrot to do it. (laughs) So Frosty's a parent of seven who also believes that the earth is 14,000 years old. Oh, but that belongs in school. That belongs in school. Condoms don't belong in school, neither does Al Gore. The information that's being presented is a very cockeyed view of what the truth is. Sure. Talking about the movie. Of course. Frosty goes on. The Bible says that in the end times, everything will burn up, but that isn't in the DVD. Oh, no, you're kidding. 
<laughs> See, here's the thing, right? I saw the headline on this, and I didn't actually honestly think that it was that big a deal. And for two reasons. Number one, I thought there's I'm not surprised that there's a parent out there who complains about, you know, who's, you know, a right winger or a Republican or whatever sure. and complains about inconvenient truth being shown in the schools. That didn't throw me at all. But what I love in the twist of this story is the guy saying, but it doesn't tell you about the end times in the movie. That's why it's obviously inaccurate. I watched the whole DVD. There's not one mention of Armageddon in the whole DVD. Not even at the end of the DVD <laughs> But I mean, they look, talk about the end times. I'm not surprised that a parent complained. I'm always surprised that a school board didn't say, yeah, really, that's a, it's a science curriculum. It's really up to the teachers. Uh-huh. I mean... But, you know, so, I mean, they have no guts, obviously, at all. One parent complains, right, and they're off the deep end. And it's a parent who says, the Bible says in the end times everything will burn up, but that perspective isn't in the DVD. But then, wait a minute, then he should be happy then, because global warming means that the earth is beginning to, you know, burn up. So we're getting close to the end times when Jesus Christ will return. Shouldn't he be ecstatic about that? He should be delighted, and of course, he hasn't even gotten the memo that... Oh, uh, I know why he's pissed. Frosty. <laughs> <laughs> that fundamentalist uh, uh, Christians, uh, many fundamentalist Christian leaders are on board with global warming. Mm-hmm. Frosty hasn't gotten that memo. So anyway, the story actually, uh, though it doesn't get as funny, it does get worse. Uh, uh, school board member David Larson proposed the moratorium. He's a lawyer, by the way, so he's a smart guy, that David Larson. He says, somebody could say you're killing free speech, and my retort to them would be, we're encouraging free speech. By getting you to shut up. <laughs> the beauty of our society is we allow debate. Except this debate, which we won't allow. Uh, School board members adopted a three-point policy that says teachers who want to show the movie must ensure that a credible, legitimate, opposing view will be presented. Uh, Of course, we all know that there is no opposing view, that the scientific community is 99.9% in agreement here. Uh, And then uh, another school, the school board president, whose name is Ed Barney, Everybody's name in this story is funny. Ed Barney says, what is purported in this movie is this is what's happening, period, that it's fact. (laughs) Uh, Asked whether an alternative explanation for evolution should be presented by teachers, Barney said it would be appropriate to tell students that other beliefs exist. It's only a theory, global warming, he says. Well, here's the part I don't understand about the story, Ben. I'm being serious. What is the evolution angle here? I mean, this is about global warming. Why do they keep coming back to creationism and evolution? Because I, in the movie, of course, mm-hmm. uh, there is evidence of the Earth's age. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. What, what are you going to do with these people? Right. That's what, but yeah. then you can't teach anything in science. No. I mean, you can't teach geology. Geology is way out the door. On this rock, you can see, is uh, two and a half million years old. Whoa! We need to encourage debate about that. Maybe uh, it's two and a half days old. Frost- why, what does the Bible say on it? Frosty Hardison and his wife, Gayla, said they would prefer that the movie not be shown at all in schools. From what I've seen of this movie, uh, and what my husband has expressed to me, she says, which means... Uh, she didn't what, see the movie. Yeah, what, what I've seen of this movie means movie. I don't know. I haven't seen it. I mean, it means I saw the trailer and then my husband told me what was in it. Right. From what I've seen of the movie and what my husband has expressed to me, if the movie is going to take the approach of bad America, bad America, I don't think it should be shown at all. Is it ever, anything more obvious that somebody hasn't seen the movie? If you're gonna come, just going to come and say America is creating the rotten ruin of the world, I don't think the video should be shown. 
Uh, do you, but Ben, to be fair to them, you remember the part of the Inconvenient Truth where Al Gore put that slide up about how bad America was? That was my favorite part of the movie. Of course. Right. And then chart li- kept going up and up and up and how bad America was. I'm a liberal. That was awesome. Yeah. I hate America. I recently moved from one coast of this country to the other, to Washington, D.C., to be exact, and I I came for a few reasons. I hated Sacramento, I hated my job, but I loved politics and wanted to get involved, and where do people who like politics go? You know, it just made sense. Along the way, I traded my old hybrid car for an equally efficient yet far cheaper biodiesel running Volkswagen. Now, these two cars, I think, are indicative of a couple of things. One is that I no longer had a job and needed to slash expenses drastically. But the other is that I've discovered, kind of within myself recently, that environmental issues, specifically global warming, is right at the top of my list of political passions. It's important to me what kind of an effect I'm having on the planet as long as I'm here to have one. It's the Best of the Left podcast distributed by bestoftheleftpodcast.com. Each week we choose a theme, bring you a variety of stories on that theme. This week on our program, as you've been hearing, global warming. Today in our final act, the environmental story of my move to within the Beltway, yet outside the border of Washington, D.C. I did lots of research about appropriate places to try to land near D.C. and got lots of advice from all kinds of sources. There was one place that kept popping into conversations, though. Tacoma Park, Maryland. I'd I'd done some research on the place myself and liked what I saw, but it was also right at the top of everybody's recommendation list. However, there was one story about a stove that pretty much clinched it. This is my mother. She's relating the story of Mike Tidwell, a Tacoma Park resident who heats his house with a stove that burns organic corn. He tells the story in his newest book, The Ravaging Tide. He said, you know, that that was, you know, his fight against global warming. But then after the terrorist struck the um, World Trade Center, he said, okay, this is my personal, you know, 
way to fight terrorism because I'm not going to be using petroleum-based products to heat my house anymore. It was a good idea, and it spread. First, just a few of his friends bought corn stoves, then a few more. They were making weekly trips out to the farmer to buy corn to heat all their houses. All the driving was beginning to wear on them when the farmer made a recommendation. I guess they said something about it to the farmer, and he suggested that what they needed was a silo in town where they could sit and come and unload the corn, and then, you know, people could come and and uh, pick it up there. So when news of the idea of the in-town silo and the convenience it would bring spread, so did the demand for corn stoves. Citizens of Tacoma Park were able to band together and convince the manufacturer of the stoves to give them a $4,000 grant to build a silo on city property. And the city council, being a bunch of tree-hugging liberals themselves, went along with the idea. So, somewhere in Tacoma Park is a And in a bunch of other places, there are little uh, organic corn-burning furnaces heating homes. Exactly. And, and that's the story that you heard that, that made you call me and practically insist that I move to Tacoma Park because it's such a cool place. Exactly, yeah, because I thought, that's where you should be. About a week after getting that original phone call, I was staying in Northern Virginia with the very kind-hearted listener, Parker, who had opened his spare room to me to use while I was looking for a permanent place to stay in D.C. I had arrived in Virginia just in time to make it to the big anti-war rally on the National Mall at the end of January, which is how I spent my first day in Washington in over 10 years. The day after the rally was set aside to really buckle down on Craigslist and find myself a place to live. That evening, I was telling Parker, who is an environmental advocate himself, about the ravaging tide and the story of the corn stoves, especially since Parker was another one of those people who had put Tacoma Park right at the top of his recommendation list for me. As I told the story, I looked up the book on Amazon just to show him and and give him the author's name in case he wanted to find it later. And it was at that moment that I began receiving my first uh, Craigslist responses. As I was telling the story and looking up the book and reading my emails from the Craigslist people, it took me a couple of minutes to really put all the pieces together, but finally one email did actually catch my eye. It was the first one to come in, and then everything really fell into place, and that first emailer to respond became my landlord just two days later. Here, here's actually the interesting part of the story that I get to tell you now. I moved into Mike Tidwell's house. (laughs) And he's a really nice guy. I 
day in Virginia, the day right before the rally, I had the great pleasure of going out to dinner with a fantastic listener known to his friends as Dakota Bill and his wife. During the meal, she asked me what my plans were from that point on, and I told her I really didn't have any plans, but my passions were global warming and media, and I just kind of trusted that something would fall into my lap. Well, she had a good laugh at that and said that I really must be from California to be able to think like that. And then on, on top of that, as an interesting side note, he also runs a radio show here in town. Um, but he's having a little trouble, and so he's looking for some help to get his podcast up and running. I see. So it just it seems too good to be true for both of us, so here I am. Oh, man, I mean, is that like karma or what? This is karma's gonna get you. Gonna knock you right on the head. You better get yourself together Pretty soon you're gonna be dead You can find out more about Mike Tidwell and the books he's written, including Bayou Farewell, in which he predicted Hurricane Katrina and the destruction of Louisiana, and the post-Katrina follow-up, The Ravaging Tide, which has been described as a militantly passionate indictment of our non-responsiveness to global warming. Just visit bestofleftpodcast.com and follow the links in the show notes of this episode. You can learn more about his clean energy house, which is heated by organic corn and powered by solar panels, in which I am currently residing, by reading the recent Washington Post article, Living Lightly on the Grid. Today's show was produced by myself, with the help of the entire Best of the Left community, including the aforementioned Dakota Bill, and Billy Baptism, who also runs the entire website and community at bestoftheleftpodcast.com. Special thanks for production inspiration today to Ira Glass, who, when asked what he thought about some runt stealing all of his ideas to make a political podcast, puzzlingly responded, I hate America. I'm Jay from inside the Beltway and outside the border of Washington, D.C., and being kept warm by corn. Be sure to join us next week for more stories from the best of the left.